As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello. We are back here again at Full Time with Meg Linehan. You are listening to a podcast all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Meg, your host, and I am a staff writer at The Athletic covering the NWSL, U.S. Women's National Team. Got another big episode for you this week. We are back on our normal day on Thursday. Heather O'Reilly is here to discuss all things U.S. National Team after their first win of 2021. We've got another game coming up on Friday. And Jessica McDonald of the North Carolina Courage is joining the show to share what she is working on in the year ahead, let's start, as always, with the news from the past week. A little bit less intense than last week, fortunately. But Phil Neville, out. The coach of the England women's national team and Team GB for the Olympics is actually on his way here to the U.S., taking the reins to enter Miami of MLS. In his place, retired Norway international player Hega Ries has been named to run the team's February camp with her and Canada's Rian Wilkinson both joining the coaching staff with short-term appointments before, of course, Serena Wegman of the Netherlands steps in to lead the team. More international coaching news with Monica Vergara, named as the new head coach in Mexico. She has plenty of managerial experience within FMF after leading various youth teams for the Federation. Some here might actually be familiar with her name as she was paired with Jill Ellis as part of a coaching mentorship program through FIFA. Of course, the big news of the weekend here in the U.S. was Vlako Andonovsky's announcement that Becky Sauerbrunn is back as captain of the national team. Now, Brooks Peck and I took off our Christy Mewis appreciation hats to put on our Becky Sauerbrunn appreciation hats, and we wrote about why she was the perfect pick to lead the team. If you would like to read that story, the link is in the show notes for you. Now, if I were to take the time to describe Heather O'Reilly's playing career, I think we would probably have a two-hour show for you today instead of a one-hour show for you today, but suffice to say she is an all-time great within this game. She's won a lot of trophies over the years, a lot of medals, a couple of NWSL championships, and now she is balancing her assistant coach position at UNC and her media responsibilities. She was on the desk for the national team's first game of the year, and now she is here to break things down even more for you. All right, so we've had our first game of the year. We have made it through. Uh, we have seen the power of the Mua sisters 
continue <laughs> into 2021. What are your immediate takeaways from Monday's night, Monday, Monday night's game? Well, I never thought that I would steal a line from Alexi Lawless, but I have to. His call of, of naming them the Mui was exceptional. So, um, yeah, I mean, wonderful day for Sam Mewis. I think that she continues to like cement her influence on the on the team. You know, this wasn't a a fluky uh, 2020 for Sam. She is she's the best player for the U.S. team now, and so I was thrilled to see. Um, you know, her to, uh, you know, bag a hat trick, take a penalty, continue to, to grow her, like, leadership role, I think was fantastic. Um, my biggest takeaway in the game was that it was great. Um, you know, any concerns, uh, you know, due to, like, players not getting enough games in um, because of COVID and, and, and Europeans getting a ton of uh, maybe training sessions and game time, um, I think that our players look fantastic. So good on them for being very diligent with their, uh, you know, their fitness. And they obviously had a really productive training camp. So yeah, I was thrilled with the level of the team. Um, you know, I, I, am excited about Vlaco having the team for a longer amount of time, um, due to the pandemic. I mean, clearly <laughs> it's not a good thing, but it's maybe a good thing for, Vlaco to have a little bit more just more time with the group um to get his his the the vision for the team across and I don't think that they actually will have more um training sessions maybe per se because you know a lot of stuff that they're doing actually is virtual but he's very good uh, about getting information across um in media and I think that even when they hadn't been together Vlaco has had you know, Zoom meetings, et cetera. And I actually think that um, I have a lot of confidence that this could be the first ever time that a World Cup winning team goes ahead and wins the Olympics right after. And I think they had a good chance of doing that, you know, if the Olympics were a few months ago, but I have even more confidence that they'll be able to do that uh, challenging task um, now that they have a little bit bit more time together so my takeaway from the game was two thumbs up uh clearly Colombia wasn't at, at their best I think that they were missing probably seven or eight players that usually start um due to playing overseas or uh, COVID concerns etc so you know you can't take too much from the opponent that they played but I think that U.S. Uh, put their stamp on the match and I think everybody would agree that that was not the U.S.'s best game. I think that, you know, maybe a B performance, maybe even a C-plus performance, but still so many wonderful things um, uh, from the team. So I think that they're in a great spot. I think uh, veterans look sharp and young players look sharp too. So uh, it's all good yeah. stuff. All right. <laughs> I do want to talk to you because obviously, again, talking about this break that the team has had, it's also the return of so many players, whether that's from injury, Carly Lloyd obviously coming off that knee surgery, and then her return, of course, going a full 90 minutes because, of course, that is the Carly Lloyd way, right? But where, you know, there's been a lot of talk, and this is kind of tradition around the U.S. Women's National Team, of what we've got an 18-player roster coming up for the Olympics, right? Competition is going to be tougher than ever. What were your impressions of their return to the national team after not having played since She Believes Cup of last year? Oh, I was pleasantly surprised, I think, on the level uh, from both 
Pino and Carly. I think that they both looked great. I, I, I say pleasantly surprised, not because I, I expect anything else or because of their age or because of their injury or anything like that. It's just that they haven't been in team environments. They haven't been in team training. They haven't, you know, played in challenge cup games, et cetera. So, um, you know, you know, training on your own is fantastic. And, and those two and Carly in particular has proven through the years that she uh, can grind out, um, you know, training on her own better than anyone, but, you know, you still need to play, you still need to play football and play in, in team environments and, and stuff like that to be able to, to perform at the highest level. So I was, I was surprised to see um, them play so long and, and play so well. And it's a, uh, yeah, hat tip to them for, for obviously putting in the work. And um, yeah, I, I think that they're saying like, I'm not going anywhere. I want to medal. So uh, let's roll. Yeah. On the flip side. Okay. So Rapino comes back, plays that 45 minutes. And then we also have this kind of much anticipated, debut of Katarina Macario and you know for as much hype I've, I've I asked her a question about it in her conference call last week of just like there's a lot of pressure on you right and and part of that is she wants to go to Lyon she wants to make sure that she's not necessarily the best player in her training environment but what were your first impressions of the the first 45 minutes of what I'm assuming are going to be many for this player I think that she's really special I think that what we saw was a really smooth first cap uh, you didn't see many jitters from her. I'd say very, very different than uh, probably how I looked for my first cap. Um, she just didn't seem nervous. She seemed very comfortable. Like she belonged there. I'd say she looked 30 caps in, um, on the ball. She was willing to take on. She actually like, I say brought others into the game. Well, which, uh, it's hard to sort of, um, describe, but she actually like puts others at ease around her because, you know, when you're so technical on the ball and you have so much confidence that you'll be able to, to keep it and keep possession, uh, you know, it seems like the other players around you um, are more confident in their ability to possess the ball as well. So I think that she'll have a really nice influence on the team in that regard. Uh, love to see her get, uh, you know, in goal scoring opportunities around the box. So really bright things from her. I think, um, yeah, what an exciting time for a young player to get, you know, a big contract at Lyon and, and finally get the okay to play with the U S team and play with the U S team. So uh, what a fun, you know, couple of months it's been for her. And, and she seems, you know, she seems to have her head on right around it, you know, wonderfully uh, well-spoken character and um, just wants to do things the right way and, and has an appreciation for what, you know, we've created and, and those before me have created with the U S team. So um, I'm happy that she chose uh, to be part of this program and, and we're, we're excited to have her. Right. All right. I did want to talk about some of the culture parts to this team right at the moment. The other big news of this past week is Becky Sauerbrunn being named captain again and obviously a player that you know pretty well and just wondering what your take is on, on the swap to, to Becky and what she brings as a, as a captain. I think it was a great move. I think, um, Becky is just such a steady presence. Um, I think it's it's exceptionally important to uh, one have a captain that's always on the field. <laughs> um, I mean that helps. I think because then you don't have to keep switching around the armband, keep switching around who's the vocal 
leader, et cetera. It's, it just makes things a little bit more known. It doesn't have to be that way. And, and some managers and groups choose otherwise, and that's fine. But I think what, what Becky will provide is a consistent voice. Um, you know, it's nice for her to be in a center back position because I think that that, you know, allows her to kind of see the field and have a real finger on the pulse of kind of what's going on with everybody. Um, and so I think that the captain, you know, captaincy really suits Becky. And, right. and she's a very um, thoughtful, um, yeah, thoughtful and steady voice. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that it's, it's really important to have that. And um, the team is comprised of a lot of really confident, good leaders. And I, I think that all the, all the positive attributes that all the, you know, former captains or, you know, everybody's like a captain on their club team. So it's like, there's so many wonderful leaders in that dressing room. And um, I think that Becky's somebody that can really engage that um, and, and draw that out of people in a positive way. She doesn't have an ego about her. She can, um, you know, she'll, she'll turn to Alex, she'll turn to Carly, she'll turn to Kelly or Pino or Julie and, and say like, Hey, what do you think about this? How should we approach this? Um, and she also has, you know, clearly a long lasting and, and standing relationship with Vlako and Anofsky. I think that they know each other, they know what makes teams win and they can have open communication. So I, again, I think that it was, uh, it was positive and, and the team seems to be in a good place. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24 seven US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. All right, so speaking of Laco, one of the things that I think every player, as we have talked to them through this camp, have said is, Okay, you know, we've we've gotten some time with him. Obviously, 2020 is a weird year where we have games at the start, get through Olympic qualifying, she believes cup, then this long layoff, then they they come back for the camp and the Netherlands game. Obviously, there's been a lot of work off of the field, but now they're they're coming back and they're saying, "Okay, so we we've got this January camp, right? Kind of always a different idea of what a January camp is compared to other points in the year." But one of the reoccurring themes of what everyone is saying is now he's starting to layer things in, right? Like we've gotten that baseline. He's starting to layer things in from your understanding of how Vlatko works and how he coaches. What exactly is he now layering in with them? Do you think? Uh, it's a good question. I think that like, uh, you know, as fans or, or listeners, like you're like, okay, that's all great. But like, what actually are you talking about? <laughs> so, I mean, Vlatko is a unique coach in that like he he celebrates creativity and and freedom and joy um but then he also has an attention to detail so i think that he's trying to kind of like mesh these these two uh feelings of being a footballer it's like having your roles and responsibility 
but still feeling like clear to, to express yourself. So I think that li likely it took him a couple months to sort of like allow his players to realize that those two things can coexist and, and, and here's how. And I think that an example of something that's like small details is say without the ball on the defensive end, what are the triggers? Where are you trying to force an, a specific opponent to play? Um, you know, um, are you trying to pin them on the sideline? Do you notice that one player on the opposing team maybe uh, doesn't like playing long balls? So what you'll do is as a team is really squeeze that, that person. And with Vlaco, like every yard matters, every meter matters um, in terms of how you're defending. So something that Sam Mewis brought up in a press conference recently was um, against Columbia, for instance, a trigger against Columbia might be to be a little bit more aggressive in your defending because stereotypically and generalizing Columbia tries to play small passes to get out of pressure. So they're not going to kill you with a long ball over the top. Right. So you can be a little bit more um, uh, aggressive, I think, and, and almost take a stance of uh, biting a little bit early to cut off passes. And it seemed like, you know, like I you know, didn't have these conversations with Blacko or any of the players about what they did at training. But one of the things that U.S. Soccer put up on their Twitter feed of highlight practice was actually defenders moving around a dummy to cut off a pass. And I think that that's like an example of, you know, how in that game, Blacko instilled a detail that he would want his team to get across. I think, you know, on the other side of the ball, an example might be, uh, clearly set pieces is something that like maybe when you first come onto a team, you don't really have time to get to, but I'm sure that they're looking at who's, who's able to serve a ball. What, what are the different attributes that everybody brings? You saw, um, Macario actually deliver some, some corner kicks. So that was cool right. to see. So I, I'm sure that they've been working on that. And, um, uh, another detail that I think that I heard the players talk about with Columbia is like, if you're, if you're being able to press high, against a team, um, you're going to win the ball high. So then you're a little bit jammed up in front of their box. It's not like you're going to like let them come out and then you're going to be able to play it behind them. The, that would be maybe something that they did against the Netherlands. So now they're winning the ball high. And so now it's like, well, now what? And that's where some small details might come into play with, with how you want to approach um, stuff that goes on around the box. So uh, those are some small things. I think like maybe – uh, some passing patterns and pattern play that uh, that Blacko would want to uh, instill. It's like, okay, if Rose is on the field, uh, how do we use Rose compared to maybe if um, if Sam's on the field in that position or, or Christy Mewis is on the field in that position, it might look a little bit different. So right. if that's what I would think that they're, <laughs> that they're working on. Uh, certainly yeah. can't yeah. say for sure, but those are some examples for people that say like, okay, I, they're talking about details. What does that mean? Right. And I, I think that's a perfect thing for the next thing I want to ask you, because as someone who has always been on one particular side of trying to watch this U.S. women's national team and trying to figure out what exactly is happening on it, you have you've seen it from both sides. You have also seen folks like me trying to see like, OK, this is this is where I think the team is at. Right. But when we are actually watching this U.S. national team and trying to figure out what comes next, what questions need to be answered, what what questions need to be asked, even like my visibility to the work that's happening is limited to both what players, what Flacco, what what staff are saying, and then the games, right? So we're seeing 
10%, right? At best, at best of what the actual work is before that finished product on the field. So how do you, now that you are on the other side of this, right? And, and trying to think like, okay, maybe this is what they're working on and I'm seeing this in a game. Like, how do we put all of this stuff that we can actually see in the greater context of what the team is actually doing? <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's a tough question because you, you know, that's why, that's why team environments are very sacred, Meg. Right. Because um, if you guys figure out everything about the U.S. national team, then, then Switzerland or Japan. Um, so some things, you know, clearly are, are just for, for the team. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that it's difficult, especially against, you know, a, a lesser opponent to like, to draw a ton out. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Blacko has been uh, pr- pretty forthcoming with saying that, you know, that first game he was ringing out, you know, a potential starting 11. Um, I'm not sure how he'll sort of look at the second match, um, but I suspect that it will be a really good time to see some players and see um, if they have an opportunity to, to make a case for themselves. I think that this extra time, uh, like I was speaking to these, you know, essentially a whole extra year probably suits or gives the advantage to younger players and players that weren't in before. And that has nothing to do with age or, or like being your legs or anything like that. I'm just saying that it gives them more time to make a case. And if Blacko only has, you know, five months or six months, whatever it was, uh, to try to go repeat. Yeah. You use the same players that just won the world cup. Um, but now if you have a year and a half, I think that it, it might crack open some opportunities for some players that maybe wouldn't have been there if the Olympics were last year, in my opinion. Um, I right. certainly can't speak for anybody except for, uh, for what I see. So, um, yeah, that, that would be, um, the best that I could answer that question. But I, <laughs> I, I know that it, it certainly is difficult. A few years ago, I was doing a game and I was a little bit nervous because I hadn't done too much TV work. So I asked one of my friends, I won't say who it was on the team. I was like, Hey, do you mind telling me like who's starting tomorrow? Just so I can just dial in exactly what I want to say. And she's like, I'm sorry, Hey, I can't. And I was like, I was just on a team like yesterday. I'm not going to go to Twitter and <laughs> leak anything big. And, but like she, she got it. I got it. Like there is a fine line, I think, um, with sort of giving too much out there, laying your cards out there. Um, because at the end of the day, like the U.S. team does have to continue to find these like 1%, 2%, 5% margins. And that's what Blacko is seeking. And that's what the team is seeking. So sometimes... Yeah, it is difficult to see sort of what it, what it, they're they're working on, but I think that they were thrilled with some of those goals that were scored um, in the game, and some of the you know the players spoke to that. I think you know um, Sam Sam's penalty kick goal I think came off the kickoff, and that's something that they said that they were very happy to be uh, working on, and even the sort of pattern play that led to. Um, some of the goals in the first half, I think, you know, you can assume that they've been sort of working on those kinds of movements and, and things like that. But yeah, it's not as fun when you don't know the, the whole inside scoop and you have to, uh, you have to guess, but um, right. 
Yeah. So I feel for you guys. Trust me. <laughs> All right. I wanted to end with one last one of, you know, you, you opened up this call with, I don't, the, the performance for the first game kind of eases any concerns, but do you have any, do you have any questions around this U.S. women's national team right now beyond, I mean, like, obviously there's always going to be these questions about like who makes the final cut of the roster. Right. But like, do you have any existential questions? Because I feel like generally the mood has been like, we are seeing kind of a new era of this team under Vlaco. And, you know, I think the Netherlands game did so much for everyone was kind of like, okay, let's maybe dial it down. They haven't played for a while. And then they came out and we were like, oh, this, this is what this team is like. Now. Okay, cool. I mean, truthfully, that team is in a wonderful position. I mean, they've given up one goal in 10 games. I mean, that is ridiculous. And some of these opponents were like top five opponents in the world. So I think that, you know, I'm really bullish on like how the team is doing and the blending of old and the new in terms of philosophies. I think that from my time with Blacko with FC Kansas City, he really values and admires the women's national team and the history of it and veteran players, et cetera. Um, but, but, but clearly he understands that things need to evolve and, and, and it is like he's finding the, the one, two percent. So I think in terms of the state of the team and the state of us soccer, I'm, I'm thrilled. I think that Sydney Parlow has been doing a great job. I think Kate Markroft has been doing a great job. Um, even the men's side uh, has, <laughs> has so many positive stories coming out of it uh, in terms of our young guys, you know, being on, you know, top European teams and, and really getting time. And um, so I think U.S. soccer is in a really good place in terms of football that I can see. Um, I think in terms of broader questions, I think historically the national team has been the players like number one employer has been the one that's paying the, the bills from, you know, my early day into today. And eventually that will turn. Eventually, you know, your club teams will be paying your bills, will be um, your main, your main gig. And I think that that is, it's a worry for me a little bit just because I know that that has been like a big differentiator through the years and why U.S., soccer and the U.S. team have been able to, you know, have so many weeks longer together as a team. You know, it's like FIFA date. What's a FIFA date? Bring them in for, for camp, you know? And so I, I think that that's a question. Like, I'm curious how that's going to look years down the line because I don't want to be on the same calendar as every other team in the world. You know, the U.S. team has had a tradition of like years ago, we used to all live in California and train together for six months at a time. And um, then we would be playing against national teams that were together, you know, a few weeks before a big tournament. And like, shockingly, we were better than them. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's a question. I mean, it's, it's all wonderful things because it proves the evolution of the game and like, you know, clubs are willing to spend more now. And, and it's all things that we want. So it's great. Um, but what does that look like for the U.S. national team um, is, I think, that just a question um, that uh, that I have. I wouldn't say that it's yep. a worry, but I would definitely say it's something that's on the horizon. Right. Right. And, and we're starting to see that now with 
U.S. Women's National Team players being able to sign directly with clubs. Like we are yeah. already in the shift in terms of, okay, now the relationship maybe changes a little bit. I mean, I think that's certainly the hope from the NWSL side of, you know, that concept of FIFA date. What's a FIFA date? And NWSL clubs are like, no, we like FIFA dates. Right. <laughs> Please. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, exactly. I think that this is, this is very much a transition time uh, in so many ways. I mean, you see college players, multiple college players now, um, now deciding to forego a season is that a trend or is that just a few more one-offs here and there? So I think that it's uh, a bit of a transition time. Like I said, it, it usually points to really positive things. Um, but I think that it's something that might have some kinks that need to be worked out. Awesome. All right. Well, one, one total last question. Where can people find you online if you want to send them to Twitter or anywhere else. I mean, I personally have very much enjoyed all of the dog and, and baby <laughs> content that has been coming off of your feed. So. Oh yeah. Find me on Instagram probably. <laughs> yeah. You know, like a lot of people, I think I went through like so many seasons of like loving social media, hating social media, <laughs> throwing my phone against the wall in 2020. Uh, but generally you can find me on Instagram at Heather O'Reilly and at uh, Twitter at Heather O'Reilly. So, uh, so tune in, but keep up the good work, Meg. And thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for, thank you for taking the time. Super appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll both be watching on Friday. Yeah. Yes. Yes. From my couch this time. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. All right. Thank you to Heather for her time. Now we're heading to one of her former teammates in North Carolina, Jessica McDonald, who has also seen her fair share of trophies and championships. I actually watched her dominate in the 2018 NWSL Championship game in person, she ended up taking home that finals MVP award. So here is Jess. All right. So I want to I want to start with you because what was so great is, you know, I'm on Twitter last night and all of a sudden you and, and Megan Rapino and Becky Sauerbrunn, all these players are suddenly sharing this like very personalized video about inauguration day that is it has some footage from here in New York City for the celebration after the World Cup. And I'm just wondering, first of all, like, how how did that come about? Like, it just seems like there's such a, obviously, energy about today. But but what was your part with that uh, little video? Yeah, so I was, first of all, I was super pumped for the opportunity. We had gotten a request and our PA forward the information to us if any of us wanted to do it. And um, yeah, it was a handful of the girls, which was like really cool. When I was reading the script, I was like, this is so powerful. This is absolutely amazing. So obviously I'm just very honored to obviously be on there and contribute my, my voice, uh, which is historical. This is a historical day and, um, hopefully some change will come and I just want to be a part of that. Yeah. How are you? I mean, so we are recording this on Wednesday. Uh, we're now a few hours out from like the actual inauguration ceremony, but how are you? feeling today versus yesterday. I mean, I was I was talking with someone actually from a different country earlier in the morning and I was like, we've had like three very intense Wednesdays all in a row between like what happened at the Capitol, impeachment, and now inaugurate like 
we've lived basically like I feel like 10 years in three weeks. But are you Literally. feeling any any different today? Um, no, not really. Obviously, like I have high hopes for this country, you know, and overall, I am excited. Of course, there have been some emotions, you know, within my household with everything that's been going on. And I just hope that our country were able just to kind of come together and hopefully find some peace because I feel like that's exactly what we need at this point, especially with COVID hitting the way that it has globally on top of everything that's happening, you know, with politics and, and things like that. So um, it's, it's definitely been a bit of a roller coaster, but then like today I was super pumped. I was super excited. I was excited to obviously post the video of, you know, our, our voiceovers for the inauguration. And so, um, yeah, I'm just excited to just kind of move forward from, from everything that has happened in the past and in the near past as well. Yeah. So I wanted to, to talk to you about 2021, obviously, you know, to, to shift gears. to what we both, <laughs> uh, think and, and do kind of full time, but, you know, NWSL obviously did have kind of a very intense and strange 2020, but a lot more eyeballs on the sport. We've seen a lot of money come in, a lot of new investments, increased interest, right? And we're seeing this money come in. We're seeing new sponsorships. But I am, I'm wondering if you could maybe walk us through the player side of that because it does seem like, you know, you got CBS Twitch coming in. We've got Budweiser coming in. Like, from a player point of view, how much of that, like, reaches your level? Are we seeing opportunities that are equal for, like, players across different ranges in the NWSL? Are we seeing the right, the same kind of opportunities for maybe like white players versus black players or, or, you know, like just kind of folks or versus moms? Like we have the moms in the league too. Like where, where are we at from a player point of view with that money coming in? Um, obviously it's, it's nice to be one of the few players in the league right now who's been there since day one. And so to see the progression happen over the years, obviously seeing how things sort of operate and things are falling into place now. It's nice that, you know, Secret got on board to support us, support our league. And now you see, you know, a, a lot of our, a lot of our girls in the league who are in these commercials for Secret, which is amazing. So you can see some bit of equality there when it comes to opportunity, especially for, especially for NWSL players. And I think Budweiser coming on has been absolutely amazing amazing addition of a partnership. So I, I have high hopes, you know, I, I will continue to for NWSL players. And obviously we're excited that, you know, more money's coming in, more opportunity. And obviously we're very grateful for the sponsors, but I think we could still do better. There's always room to do better. And um, I'm just happy to have Lisa Baird on board because she's, she's definitely helped create that change within our league. And I'm just kind of excited excited to see what she's going to do in the near future for this league and for female footballers. Right. In terms of your own, you know, every, I think every NWSL player, but also every national team player, right. I feel like everybody's got like multiple things going on at any given time. Like what, what are you working on for 2021? Are, are there any updates that you can share in terms of things that you're working on outside of, you know, what we're actually able to see when we get games again? Yeah, I've, um, I've been trying to volunteer a lot of my time, uh, especially for our youth. And, you know, I've, I've been able to, you know, pack boxes of, of food for kids who, you know, haven't been able to afford meals during the holidays. So that was really exciting. And I'm trying to carry that over into 2021 as well. And I'm like super excited about it. And um, 
I just joined, I, I just got an agent recently who has helped me get a lot of opportunities. You know, I, I partnered with, with Clean Cause and Rapid Reboot. So I'm excited for the opportunities that they'll be giving me this year as well. And um, also I just became a part business owner, which will be announced tomorrow. And I'm super excited about that. You guys will see more details for that. And obviously being a mom, I, I have two puppies, you know, so my, my life has been been pretty crazy this off season. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Been able to okay. get training in every day. And I do. So, I, yeah, it's a long list of things. I want to talk to you more about puppies, obviously, right? That is very much in my wheelhouse, <laughs> but I do want to, I have been tipped about soccer resilience and that, that ownership stake that you're, you're involved in. And I was, I was hoping to maybe walk through this. This episode is coming out tomorrow, so don't worry. We're not gonna we're not gonna blow anything. But okay. um, you know what what appealed to you about taking this next step in terms of like actually being involved in in a company from like an ownership point of view? What are your your personal goals with this? Yeah, I actually never dreamed of being any type of business owner, really, and I. I kind of jumped the gun on this one because I love what soccer resilience is all about. Obviously it's pretty self-explanatory. And, you know, when they, when they approached me to, to join the team, I mean, I didn't hesitate to say yes. And so I'm just here to obviously help our youth um, mentally, you know, challenge themselves and, you know, mentally stay stay tuned in, especially in games. So obviously being a pro, um, and the amount of time I've obviously spent being a professional soccer player, it would be nice to pass on my knowledge of, you know, just mental competitiveness overall. And, and that's what we're, we're here to do is to help kids with their, with their mental competitiveness. Yeah. In terms of obviously, you know, your NWSL story, I think is definitely one of the more unique ones within the NWSL, just in terms of number of teams. Right. But also I think your time with North Carolina has been really just fascinating, honestly, to watch. Like I, I was at the 2018 NWSL championship game, right, where you won the MVP award. And I feel like there's such a part to the game that is always maybe a little bit hard for those of us who obviously are not at a professional. I never want to pretend I'm at a professional level when it comes <laughs> to soccer, right? But the the drive to be at that level feels so different than me trying to like wake up in the morning at 7am so that way I can like get on the bike before I start. Like we are in two different worlds and I fully respect that. But what, what, (laughs) what is it about your experience that you're hoping to maybe bring into that work with a company that is so focused on the actual mental side of the game? Um, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. Uh, you don't want to give away the secret. You don't want to give away the secret. They got to. Yeah. So just helping with sort of the anxiety of being under pressure. Um, and, you know, as for me, with the adversity and, and all the setbacks, you know, as a pro, I mean, like my, my journey into today, it's, it's crazy to even think about. And I think using a little bit of my, my journey and my story will help these kids because it's not just life on the soccer field. It's also life off of that. And how can you handle the stress from everything that's happening off, off the fields that's not in your control and being able to focus on the field 
when you when you're in a stressful state of mind. And so I know what that's like. We're all human beings, even professional athletes. But, you know, it's those it's those things that we can shut out and be able to focus, you know, and for me, I like to use the negativity, the stress that's happening in my life and actually using it as motivation, turning something negative into something positive. And I'm just excited to share my stories with everybody who is on board with soccer resilience and just hoping that my words will help create change. Is there a particular appeal to you in terms of, you know, I think that there's also been so many, I would like to think productive. I think we're maybe starting to get there, but but more intense, productive conversations around representation within the NWSL and support of black players. Like, is there something here that might be like a call to action in terms of either fans to support this work directly or for future players in terms of like, you know, again, I think representation is so important. I think we are starting to finally start changing the conversation around the work that we can do to support the black players in the NWSL. But is there, is there something both, whether that's like within an NWSL world, within the soccer resilience world, within your personal viewpoint that there's maybe like a call to action for folks to take? Yeah. I think that with conversation and the fact that you even brought it up, it's, it's already helping, you know? And so I think the more conversation, the more we break out of our shells, as, as black players, um, you know, I've never been so open about my blackness in my entire life up until this, this last year, everything that's been happening. And so um, and I feel like we've been kind of in these shells to kind of keep it to ourselves. But now the world is kind of seeing a, a little piece of our world and what we go through. And so now there's been a lot of discussions, a lot of questions, continue to ask questions, continue for discussion. I, I think that's always a call to action because I really believe that you know, words coming out of our mouths and people understanding where we're coming from, that's supportive enough. It's just for you to understand, you know, and, and support, you know, the inequality that's been happening. And so, and, and and put your foot down, you know, and especially when there's, you know, someone talking negatively about it, you know, it's okay to speak up to that person and, you know, kind of shut that down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I just think the continued support that we've been receiving, I mean, it, it was absolutely outstanding with all the marches that have ha been happening and just seeing the support there. And so the, the protesting, I mean, it, it got global. And so, you know, we continue those things. We continue that type of support. I think, um, you know, I think change will come. Yeah. All right. I did want to, I wanted to wrap up our conversation. I, I definitely wanted to check in with you on your approach to 2021 and your time with North Carolina. Obviously, in the news, a bit of news about some of the, the big changes to the roster of this team, but obviously, you know, Lynn Williams still very much in the picture. Uh, Dabinia still very much in the picture for the team. What are your expectations for 2021 with the club? Um, where's your head at? I mean, it is honestly kind of wild to me to think that NWSL preseason really is around the corner. We're starting earlier than ever this year. Where, yeah. where are you at? Yeah, I'm super excited. You know, even though we've, we lost a few players, we still have a lot of the core of our team together, which I think the intensity won't drop. I think the intensity will be just as good. I think our, our work environment is going to be absolutely outstanding. I don't think Paul Riley's personality is going to change much. So I think with, with him and the coaching staff that we've had over the years and, and the grit and the intensity that every 
woman on the courage puts in day in and day out at training, that's, that's never going to end. And um, I'm just excited that, you know, we have an opportunity to play a little bit longer this year in comparison to any other year, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to get more and, and play now. So I, I think I've had long enough break in my career. I'm ready to go feeling fresh. So yeah, are just, you, just looking forward to this. Yeah. Are you, are you excited by the return of challenge cup to start things off? I feel like that was such a good, fun, weird success of NWSL just in terms of format. <laughs> so to bring it back and like yeah. get a chance to kind of maybe redeem yourself in the challenge cup thing before starting into regular yeah. season. I know, you know, I've spoken to folks at North Carolina and everyone is like, just a reminder, we are the two-time uh, running champion. Like, we are still holding on to that. There is no yeah. – Challenge Cup is not in this picture for us. But, like, yeah. is it cool to, to start with kind of that little tournament and then launch into what we're all kind of more used to within the NWSL? Absolutely. You know, as as a player, we prefer to play in games than to train, of course. You know, training training is what leads to games. And so to get the tournament in before the season kicks off – I think that's just going to boost everybody's confidence. Now everybody's going to know what to expect coming uh, coming into this league, especially for the rookies who are, you know, coming off of college pace soccer to into the pros. And so it's going to be a way all for all of them. And I think it's going to be a great experience for them to dabble into a tournament and, um, you know, get get used to this league. And so I'm I'm super pumped games in, to be honest. You know, it's it's yeah. going to be great. Awesome. All right. Well, I always like to end if you want to tell folks where they can find you, where they can maybe find Soccer Resilience as well. So that way they know how to support you. Yeah. So Soccer Resilience is on LinkedIn. It's all at Soccer Resilience, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Soccer Resilience is on every social media, (laughs) Facebook as well. And um, I don't, it's not necessarily about me anymore, but if you want to follow me on Instagram, (laughs) Follow Soccer Resilience afterwards. That would be great. I'm at jmap 22 Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, again, I cannot believe pre- like in two weeks we're going to start talking NWSL preseason, but cannot wait for that to get started. So me thank too. you again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So we did have actually kind of a bit of an unintentional North Carolina courage themed episode this week with Heather O'Reilly, of course, retiring from the professional game in North Carolina, plus Jessica McDonald. Thank you to them both for their time this week. One more thing. One of our first guests on the show, Andre Andre Carlisle, has a new podcast with Courtney Stith called Diaspora United, which centers black women in the global game. You can follow them on Twitter at Diaspora UTD pod and subscribe to the show on Spotify. Here's a little bit of their trailer for more, but please know that I did immediately subscribe to ensure that I get maximum crystal done appreciation. That is what I am in this for. Hello and welcome. This is the trailer to a brand new podcast, Diaspora United. We are a podcast that, a soccer podcast that centers Black women in the global game. We hope y'all stay with us. You hope y'all are excited about this podcast. We already got a little bit of engagement from some of the people that are seem to be excited for it. Really excited, really eager to do this. So we wanted to kind of send out a little trailer episode to say we're coming. 
it's coming. We promise. It's uh, it's we're making some progress. Uh, we're getting there, and we hope to drop our next episode, our first episode, first official episode, pretty soon. But before we do that, I wanted to go ahead and give a uh, kind of introduction to both of us who are going to be doing the podcast. So I'm Andre Carlisle, but I want to introduce Courtney Stith. Courtney, how you doing? I'm doing well. Hi, I'm Courtney, and I'm really excited about this podcast. I think it's something we've been thinking about for a while because. Even though soccer from the outset kind of looks pretty white, it's really not that white. And so we're here to talk about Black women in the global game, what it's like being a Black footballer uh, in a sport that tends to be really white. And we're going to have some great interviews, great topics, and we're really excited for you to come listen. All right. So the new home for the show is, of course, fulltimepod.com. We have a new trailer for 2021 ready for you to share links to apple spotify google the athletic you know the drill subscribe share again you know this drill ratings interviews help grow this show as well as your engagement and your retweets and your instagram stories and everything else that everyone is doing to support this podcast about women's soccer thank you as always and thank you in particular for the 500 ratings on apple podcasts i can now stop talking about that as always, if you want more women's soccer content plus everything else The Athletic has to offer, you can start your new subscription at theathletic.com slash full-time. You can find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I still don't know the when the NWSL schedule is going to be out. I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening. Thank you.